Thought Leadership from PwC. It's an EU regulation, but it is going to hit around the world. Is, is my product on the list? Do I know the embedded emissions or not? And am I filing or is somebody else filing? I think if you follow those three basic steps, you at least have sort of an initial idea of the impact of CBAM for, for the short run. We're back talking ESG, this time about a regulation that may be a bit of a sleeper issue and that has reporting requirements beginning as early as October of this year. This is PwC's Accounting Podcast. I'm Heather Horn, and thanks so much for joining us today. Well, many companies have been busily preparing for the upcoming major ESG reporting proposals around the world. One ESG-related compliance obligation will be effective sooner than any of the big three proposals we've been talking about, and possibly sooner than many companies may realize. This is the EU's Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism, or CBAM. CBAM is one of the key elements of the EU Green Deal, a set of various regulations with the overarching goal to reduce GHG emissions by 55% by 2030 and to make the EU the first climate-neutral continent by 2050. CBAM is broadly aimed at equalizing the price of carbon paid for EU products operating under the EU emissions trading system with that of similar imported goods by enacting a border tax. As you may guess, this regulation has raised many questions. Who will it impact? What products are in scope? Will it impact me if I don't do business in the EU? So to help answer those questions and many, many more, I'm happy to welcome to the podcast, Barry Murphy, PwC's Global ESG Tax and Legal Services Leader, and Niels Muller, partner in PwC Netherlands Energy Transition and Sustainable Energy Practice. Barry and Niels together shed some light on how this new regulation may impact many companies around the world. With that, here's my conversation with Barry and Niels. Niels, Barry, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today and very excited about this topic of the Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism, or CBAM, as I've heard, because it's something we haven't covered on the podcast, but it's a topic that we're increasingly getting questions about. And, you know, I think we have a lot of our listeners that are finally just getting up to speed on CSRD. Now we have a new piece of regulation that they need to be aware of. So before, though, we get into the detail of the conversation, it'd be great to just run through each of your backgrounds. So maybe Barry, start with you and then Niels, if you want to chime in. Delighted to be here. Important topic, as you say. So I'm a tax partner by background based in London, in PwC, um, but I'm also a member of our global sustainability leadership team here at PwC with specific responsibility for how we're addressing the sustainability agenda in our tax, legal and people services. Niels, how about you and your team? Yes, and uh, th thanks again uh, for for having me, and it's, it's great to uh, to discuss the topic today. I'm I'm uh, I'm heading our uh, EU Green Deal uh, Center of Excellence, so we uh, we track and trace what's happening uh, for, uh, and what's coming from Brussels, but obviously also how it's implementing in in, in 27 uh, member states, which uh, can differ, as you as you may know, and as you've seen uh, for the CSRD. So uh, happy to be here and uh, dive into some details on on CBAM. 
So perfect. Maybe Niels, to your point about the green deal, before we talk about CBAM, I know it's been helpful to me to understand how it fits into the green deal more broadly. And and maybe because, as I said, we've spent a lot of time talking about CSRD, even helping people understand how CBAM sort of relates to CSRD. So you don't have to go through the whole thing, but can you give us sort of the high level uh, green deal in terms of the pieces and then how CBAM fits into that? Yeah. No. No. Sure. So, so, so the Green Deal actually kicked off in 2019, huh, where the Commission came out with a with a, a well a sizable plan to reduce the effectively the carbon footprint in Europe, and uh, uh, then in 2021 they came out with the Fit for 55 package, which is actually all the legislation that 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 needs to drive decarbonization in in Europe. And as part of that agenda, CBAM is one of the uh, cornerstones for uh, effectively uh, um, securing a, a, a carbon pricing mechanism that, that also protects the, the European markets. Now, now, CSRD is also part of the Green Deal, but is more on the reporting side of things, so that this is more an obligation on uh, companies operating in Europe. Um, uh, that need to come up with a net zero strategy. We've seen that uh, coming along quite uh, quite significantly now. Uh, but now it's uh, these are the further regulatory pieces that the Commission is now introducing, and and I think CBEM is one of the most visible ones at the moment. Yeah, I was just going to add to that, um, Heather Niels. I suppose although the Green Deal has been around since 2019, as Neil said, it, in, you know, in recent surveys that we've done globally, um, 60% plus of businesses we surveyed were still unfamiliar with it. So there's a mm-hmm. lot of education, I think, still to go. And it's a pretty broad package of measures. Niels, it's probably fair to say it's not a static thing either. You know, we've seen some of the emergency measures that came in, particularly because of the crisis happening in Ukraine, the Ukraine war. We've also seen more recently the EU Green Deal industrial strategy, which is in part a response to some of the incentive measures we see getting taken elsewhere in the world. So I suppose, you know, the Green Deal, it's it's a moving moving agenda as well. It's not cut and dried and set in stone at the moment, I think it's fair to say. No, no, you're absolutely right. And uh, what, what is what is uh, set in stone is the climate law. Uh, so there is the, 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 the objectives that the Commission has set for Europe, and those are agreed upon. So, and now we're working our way towards meeting those targets. And, and it, that is not a static process at all. And, and as we will uh, probably discuss a bit later, CBAM now kicks off with a, a, a limited number of products uh, that, that are caught, uh, that, that effectively resembles what is co- covered by our emission trading system at the moment. But as we're talking, uh, the emission trading system is being expanded and more sectors are added to it. Um, so, so we will see more products added to the, the CBAM list and also more legislation coming. So uh, this this is not the, sort of the end, the end game, if you like. Well, and I think maybe before we even get deeper, probably the other question we should answer is that, you know, most so our audience is about, say, 50 to 60 percent U.S. and then the rest the, around the world. So some portion in Europe. So I'm thinking, of course, CBAM applies to us. But for all our non-EU uh, headquartered companies listening, why should they they care about this? Well, I suppose maybe if I start, Niels, yes. but um, if you're importing, well, sorry, if you're exporting or selling goods into the EU market, then this is going to apply to you if those goods 
are within the relevant categories. And I know Niels is going to go into that more in more detail later. So it, it's an EU regulation, but it is going to hit around the world. And actually, when you look at some of the countries who export the largest amounts of the, you know, the impacted products, you did have Russia up there, you've got Norway, you've got Turkey, you know, and you've got many others around. The US obviously is mm-hmm. still is up there as well, Heather. So the, there's a lot. But also the, you know, the EU CBAM is one. We've got the UK has a consultation open on one up until the end of June. 2023. Um, as you know, the US is talking about mm-hmm. whether it needs to introduce similar measures. Canada. So I think CBAM in concept, in terms of things about displaced emissions, will come in more and more. The EU CBAM is, is probably just one that's going to be emerging. Yeah. And I think maybe the other point there is if we take a big step back and, you know, not to get too much into the Green Deal, but the point of this and the, the point of the fact it doesn't just apply to European or companies headquartered in the EU is because to make a, a relatively level playing field then that if you're exporting into those countries that you are not able to not pay this this charge effectively that you would be if you were in the EU. And maybe one of you can explain that a little better, but basically trying to say it's like a level playing field. That, that's the intent. Maybe, Niels, you want to pick up on the detail. There's plenty of kind of opinion out there about will it work? Who does it favor? Who does mm-hmm. it not favor? Will there be cases taken the WTO? But, but Niels, yeah, that point about displaced emissions and what's trying to be addressed. Do you want to pick up? Yeah, no, no, sure. So, so in an ideal world, uh, there would be one single carbon price for all jurisdictions, right? Uh, but that's not the case. And, and, uh, and uh, Europe is, is, is quite some some way ahead of the rest of the world in terms of pricing in carbon and also the the, the price per ton of CO2 in 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 Europe were around 100 euros per ton of CO2 and there there's not many jurisdictions you have a similar price so if Europe would do nothing and and uh, extend that price uh, to to all of their uh, operations uh, it would it would generally uh, well probably go bankrupt so there is a, a protectionist angle to it but the the bigger goal is to have a a uh, comparable price in other jurisdictions as well and and you see in 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 reaction to cbam that other jurisdictions are also looking at this and uh, are trying to move towards some kind of carbon pricing as well huh? so there's there's around 70 80 different carbon pricing systems around the world and this is also a very important part of, of the, the, the CBAM legislation as it currently stands. You will get a credit for whatever you pay in the other jurisdiction if it's a comparable uh, uh, carbon price. So, so in the end, it's not about uh, raising revenue for the European uh, Union. It's about uh, making sure that we're, we'll end up with a level playing field. And as it turns out, we, we have quite a few of our uh, network territories reaching out trying to understand how CBAM works and how they could advise their government to impose a, a similar measure. It's, it's a bit like pillar two, right? Where, where minimum tax, and if you, if you don't collect the tax, somebody else will for you. And that's exactly, so that's one of the key considerations the commission had when introducing this system. They hope to sort of spark this, this, this more global uh, uh, carbon pricing rather than just in the EU. It's also on the agenda on all the COP uh, gatherings, obviously, and there it, it, it turns out to be very difficult to agree on, on, on a global price. So this is, well, for the European Union, 
uh, a way to to spark that debate and and see if, uh, if if other jurisdictions want to follow. Yeah, so I guess to the point on the OECD player two, we actually did a recent podcast on that topic, and you know it, it's it's. I, again, totally oversimplifying here, it seems like the minimum tax idea, even that to get this consensus on was difficult. And then now you have to go through the process of all the individual countries setting those thresholds themselves. And so I guess what you guys were saying here with CBAM is that the EU basically didn't want to wait. So they said, okay, we're going to start put sort of a marker and then hopefully other countries will follow again, totally oversimplified, but very wet. <laughs> sometimes oversimplification just makes it easier to engage with. Um, but uh, look, I agree with that description, Heather, you know, backed up by the details. Yes, exactly. Just gave it. You know, it, there's a lot of things we could solve in the world. If we could get global alignment, that could be on reparations. It could be on lots of different things, but there's a, a long process to get there. And, you know, Niels mentioned as well, you know, if we could have have a global carbon price. He was part of a team that did a study with the World Economic Forum recently about how you could set a global carbon price floor. Um, you have to get everyone to agree to that. So that's unlikely to happen off the bat. Mm -hmm. So things like CBAMs and others are going to be part of moving us there as well as broader development of carbon markets, which could be subject of another podcast. Yes, definitely. So then maybe going specifically back to CBAM then, and you know, I think it would be helpful if we talk about the actual details of the regulation and, you know, we can start wherever it makes sense, but maybe Neil's talking about some of the dates involved. And then I know you said it right now, initially will only apply to a limited number of products. So if we can talk about a bit, which products those are and, and how we expect it to work. Yeah, yeah. I think I think uh, for, for our listeners, the, 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 there's there's probably three things you need to uh, assess uh, right away. Yeah, because uh, j just to make sure that everyone is on the same page, one October this year, the transitional period already starts. So we have a few months, and then CBAM will already apply. Um, it will not have a price yet, so it's a, it's sort of a transitional phase. As of one Gen twenty six, uh, there will be a price which will be linked to the ETS system. Uh, so depending on what the ETS price is at that stage, you will see that carbon will gradually be priced in once you bring in goods into the EU. I think the first check you need to do is, am I uh, uh, directly or indirectly importing these goods into the EU? Right. So so is is my in my value chain, are these products coming into the EU under the classification, the customs classification codes that are now listed? And, and just to, to give a, a brief brief summary, yeah, so there's aluminum, iron and steel, there's certain mineral products, cement, uh, there's electricity, fertilizers, inorganic chemicals, and hydrogen. Those are the sort of the, the, the big categories that uh, are further detailed with the customs code. So you need to really have a good view on what you bring into the EU. Uh, so if, if you're at the moment not on the list yet or not indirectly affected by these sort of basic uh, materials, uh, then uh, then uh, it, it may be somewhat less relevant. But, but even there, uh, bearing in mind that the Commission has already announced that they will extend that list, um, it, it's, it's certainly good to look into the carbon footprint of your supply chain, because that, that is effectively what it boils down to. Because what will be caught is sort of the scope one, so the direct emissions, but also the scope two emissions of uh, the goods where they are produced. 
So if you bring in steel from, for example, India, uh, you need to uh, come up with the carbon, the carbon content in that steel, what you bring into the EU. Um, and and if, if, it's, if it's produced with a coal-fired plant, you obviously have a higher footprint than uh, steel from the US, which predominantly is made with gas. So you will see impact on international trade flows, um, and um, it, it, will, it will definitely uh, be very important for in, um, lots of our clients to, to assess whether they're in or out uh, based on that list. And then, and then and so, and that's exactly the, the second step. Do you actually know these embedded emissions? Uh, how how much are they? Do you have uh, do you have that on record? Or uh, if you don't, you will fall back to the default values that the Commission will set, um, and that that default value will not be uh, a very favorable value. You can you can imagine. So so uh, again, that that that's also a data collection exercise effectively because you will need to assess. If you bring the steel in, can I can I uh, uh, come up with the embedded emissions or not? And if 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 you fall down to the default values, obviously that will impact your price. Uh, and then actually the last sort of question is: Are you effectively bringing it in yourselves, or is somebody else doing it for you? Are you uh, the, the CBAM declarant? We call it. So is the actual legal obligation to? Uh, uh, make the filing and uh, make the payment after 26 or, or buy the certificates eh, because it's a certificate system is that on you or somebody else and even if it's on somebody else they, they will definitely charge you the price for it so it's still relevant but uh, there's, there's less compliance probably uh, and, and a bit of a different consideration but if you if uh, those three basic steps so is, is my product on the list do I know the embedded emissions or not, and am I filing or is somebody else filing? I think if you follow those three basic steps, you at least have sort of an initial idea of the impact of CBAM for, for the short run. It, it, more holistically, I would say that it, it, it will be very important to understand the carbon footprint in your supply chain and whether your product is on now or maybe on later. Uh, also, bearing in mind uh, CSRD and other obligations, SEC has, has obviously uh, significant plans to, to, to be more open about carbon supply mm -hmm. chain. So, I have many follow-up questions. Uh, let me start the first one, though. I think you referenced ETS price. Is that, is that what you said? So, what exactly is that? What does that stand for? And, and what does that mean? So ETS is the European Emission Trading System. So all of the larger uh, uh, facilities in Europe are subject to that regime, and and uh, uh, that that is exactly the reason why we uh, why the European Commission wants to introduce CBAM, because if you produce steel in Europe, uh, you, you will be subject to ETS and you pay a, a price for your emissions. It's a cap and trade system. So if you emit uh, a certain amount of of CO2. Uh, you will get a, a percentage of free rights, but you also need to buy rights, and those rights have have, have a value, and that value is is over 100 euros at the moment. And and what what will happen once uh, after 26, the the pricing mechanism is is applicable, is that 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 particular price for that certain uh, moment that you bring it into the EU will apply equally to wherever the steel comes from. Uh, so you pay the same price as you would have 
when you would produce in Europe. Uh, so, so it's directly linked. So the prices are, and this is also to avoid. Uh, uh, well, there there are complaints with the WTO, but this is this is the, the the level playing field mechanism. This is where the Commission says, okay, whether you produce inside or outside the EU doesn't matter. Your your carbon emissions will get the same price. And then you mentioned it's a cap and trade system and their certificates. So two questions on that. Are there limited certificates? I presume the answer is yes, because they're trying to drive the amount of emissions down. And then is the price being set sort of by, I'll call it free trade, or is the commission itself setting the price? There is, there is, uh, both, there is free trade in these rights, so the, the, the price can fluctuate over time. Uh, the, the Commission does have uh, certain powers to uh, uh, steer the price. So if it would go sky high, they, they could potentially uh, have a market stabilization reserve, so they can intervene in terms of pricing. But for the moment, they, 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 they like the price to be as high as possible. Uh, because it will spark the decarbonization uh, investments, or at least that's obviously the theory, because decarbonization has, uh, the business case for decarbonization has many uh, uh, elements to it. But but this is the stick that they, they use uh, for the industry to be more efficient and reduce their carbon footprint. And Niels, one, one question I know that a lot of people have asked is, what about if I am using some of the products on that list not directly importing, but they're embedded in Finnish goods that I've manufactured elsewhere and I'm now bringing into the EU, do I still have to worry in that case? Well, uh, for, for the moment, the, the CBAM only uh, applies to the classification codes as, as they are currently listed. So so the, the short answer is no, uh, because you if, if it doesn't uh, classify as one of those specific categories uh, so there's there's a whole range of steel products that are are, are, are subject to CBAM uh, but the car for example is not uh, and and there is debate around uh, how that will work in practice and we'll have to see how that how that evolves over time it may well be that the Commission will sort of start to add products if they see that this uh, there's uh, uh, undesired outcomes of this process. Then, um, th- then they may decide to increase the number of, of codes they, uh, they apply CBAM to. So to that point then, for example, you mentioned fertilizer. So if I'm um, bringing in food, that obviously fertilizer was used to grow, but I'm not bringing the fertilizer itself, then you're saying at this point, at least you would not be subject to this. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and, and then fertilizer is a big category because there's all these sort of very specified codes that all classify as a fertilizer. But but if you're not in one of those specific codes, uh, you're for the moment you're out. All right. So then I think for many companies listening, and I think it's a good question, Barry, then they're thinking, okay, well, I'm not those codes. I'm just going to put this off. And I think that's where, Niels, you're saying, okay, but this is the starting point. And if you just wait until, you know, whatever point in time your particular goods do come in, you know, that that may be, you're going to be scrambling to catch up. Uh, yes, 
um, and, and I think there's an indirect effect as well because there will be more demand for, uh, for example, green steel or, or uh, products that have a lower carbon footprint. So uh, even if you don't export these specific projects in, products into the EU, you, I, I would expect there will be a shift in the market in any event, uh, which which is which is relevant to understand. And even if somewhere in your supply chain you're using uh, uh, these basic goods, it may well be that uh, that prices will start shifting uh, because of this uh, CBAM uh, legislation. So to your point about the car, then you're saying that you would expect that over time, a car made with this green steel is going to be more desirable. It will be, you know, either people won't buy the other ones or they're going to get a price premium or otherwise. So that's how we would expect it to be driving the market. Yeah. If you look from a European perspective, there will I would expect that there will be also uh, uh, sort of secondary legislation trying to push these green products. In the end, it's about changing our industry, right? And 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 the EU tries to be a front runner. Um, so so we'll have to wait and see whether this is the right mix of of regulation pricing. Uh, but you you can see where this is heading. Um, and if this turns out to sort of be a success, then. Yeah, if I if I would run a company, I would rather be part of the success than uh, uh, see somebody else have success. Yeah, it's important, I suppose, as well as you know, CBAM is one thing. EU Green Deal is a bigger package, but then you think about the amount of businesses out there that have net zero commitments. So starting to live up to those. So overall, and then financing flows and where they're going to be moving. I think overall, that whole slew of incentives of policies ought to be driving us in the way that Niels has described, not just CBAM, I suppose, on its own. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. And I think, you know, one of the things obviously with CSRD, it's intended to change behavior. We've talked about that quite a bit, but there's a lot of reporting that follows on with that. And so, you know, either one of you, but maybe Niels, uh, in terms of reporting for CBAM and uh, verification and the like, what are those requirements? Um, yeah, well, that, that's a very good question uh, um, uh, because that, that that will obviously determine uh, uh, what type of carbon content there is per product, and uh, the, the Commission hasn't uh, delivered all of the uh, supporting legislation yet, so we don't have the exact detail on who will be eligible for uh, determining, for example, the carbon content, uh, because that's that's that, that there is obviously. Uh, 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 the big question will be how do you determine carbon content? Uh, uh, how do you prove that? And also for the declarant, can you rely on statements from third parties? Uh, sh should it be a, a European party doing that, or or will we allow other countries to do that? So there's there, there's they're still sort of thinking about how to organize that, and I think that that's one of the crucial parts. Um, the Commission already said that in this transitional phase, they also want to learn what is the right way to do this. And so that's also one of the reasons that although they start in October, they do want to sort of uh, learn from that transitional phase. And then once you really get a price tag, they, they want to have a system in place that, that, that can sort of cover all of these questions. Um, I, I think it's going to be 
quite a well a hell of a job to uh, to get all this uh, information and i think the commission already uh, uh, indicated that they that they are aware of that that there's going to be a tsunami of uh, data coming at them because if you only look at the limited number of products that is currently uh, uh, in scope they will be flooded with information um, so how do you deal with that how do you verify that and how do you sort of also look at the compliance part um, and and do the checks. So, um, it's it's one of the crucial elements that that well we still need to sort of um, uh, learn about how they how they want to approach it. And then we mentioned that if you don't know your embedded emissions, then you're going to have to use these values that are set by the commission. Are those values already known, or they're still in the process of setting them? Those would also come together with the secondary legislation, indeed, and 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 hopefully uh, um, somewhere the coming weeks that will start to to uh, to come in, because that will allow us to be more specific and also help companies better sort of setting up for 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 this uh, uh, for the actual compliance phase. I think for now we can already check uh, whether you're on the list or not. Uh, we can think about whether you are the importer or not. Um, but the actual sort of uh, computation of how much is the carbon content and, and how much would it cost me if I bring it in, uh, I think that's still up in the air. But there's enough work to do on am I in and how would the process work. So I think that will, that will come along nicely uh, once, once that's, um, that's available. So then let me take a step back to some of the bigger concepts we talked about, because one of the things you know that's come up a few times here is supply chain and thinking about how to manage your supply chain, what to do with your supply chain. So either what are we seeing companies doing or, or where do we recommend that companies sort of start with that process? That's a pretty broad question. Yes, exactly. Um, you can take it wherever so, you want. <laughs> but I suppose some of the things that we are seeing, obviously, there's a lot of activity we're seeing based on what some of the incentive packages are being developed. So the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act, mm -hmm. you've got similar in Japan, in China, in many more jurisdictions. So how's that starting to alter what gets made and where? And then how's that going to alter the, the import-export, if you like, trade flows? And Niels mentioned a little bit of that earlier on. I suppose what we're also looking at is examples of, depending on the industry you're in, you know, a client last week who's looking at use of water in their production um, or manufacturing mm -hmm. and looking at areas of high water stress, what that might mean in terms of the water taxation rates that might be coming in, what would that do to their profitability? And therefore, what do they need to think about differently in terms of not only how they manufacture, but where? So they are sometimes in areas of high water stress. So what's the, again, what's that going to do? So mm -hmm. it's, it's a combination of measures. Um, and in essence, it's also looking at as we start to factor in costs that have never been in the P&L before, be it carbon or impact water. on nature, yeah. on water, et cetera, yeah. then what does that mean to how you manufacture and where? So we are seeing a lot of very broad queries on that and also connected to net zero transformation plans of many organizations, again, as they look at their physical presence in their emissions, what is it they're doing differently? And does that mean they make different choices about where they base certain activities? So there's, there's quite a lot of that happening. But Niels, you probably have a few examples you'd add as well. Yeah, 
I, I think you're you're absolutely right, and it's it's the mix of uh, legislation that makes it uh, quite complex to to make these business decisions. So it's on the one hand the, the pricing, carbon pricing, CBAM being one of one of the examples, but especially also the subsidies and 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 pure regulation, like uh, for example in the Netherlands we're facing out coal fire plants because we we decided to to stop that, uh, whereas in Germany uh, we just decided to to quit nuclear. So that all affect your, uh, your your overall business case that that is that is quite difficult to navigate at the moment and you see for example with battery production and huh, we we all like to at least in Europe dri- like to drive an electrical vehicle uh, but you need battery. Uh, so where are you going to produce those and and there you see the IRA is is is, is really uh, quite appealing also to European uh, battery manufacturers so they they uh, are looking to shift production potentially to the uh, to the US um, just because of the, uh, the the clarity on the uh, on the subsidy regimes where where in in, in Europe it's it, it's somewhat less clear mm-hmm. And even on that, Niels, we were talking about it last week on the, you know, as the EU subsidies come in, you've got the US subsidies, then you have a whole issue in the EU about state aid, what's allowed and what's not, and the new foreign kind of subsidies regulation. So the world for businesses, you know, importing, doing business within the EU market, um, there's quite a lot of complexity developing. Yes, actually, I, I warned the two of you before uh, we started recording that I was going to have some follow-up podcasts. This subsidies question is probably one of them because it's a question we are seeing more and more. And again, as you look at the IRA and you look at what other countries are doing, but then also how they're dealing with the IRA, it is a very interesting question in terms of how you think about all of these parts. So I'm taking your nodding, Barry, as an agreement that this is a good follow-up topic. So, uh, so uh, Niels Barry, I'm conscious we're we're coming to a close on this, and definitely this was just intended as an intro because there's there's much more to talk about. But Niels, from your perspective, as you're meeting with companies and thinking about companies that are well positioned to deal with this, what are some of those characteristics, or what are some of what you recommend? I know you gave your three steps, but what are you seeing from companies that are ahead? Well, I, th- I think uh, companies that that are uh, especially, and I'm just talking about a couple of European examples here. Uh, companies that source a lot of steel for larger construction projects, like for example, offshore wind, but also other larger construction. They they generally have a lead time of a couple of years, so they they already need to start factoring in. Uh, uh, the impact of CBAN on on the pricing of their steel, and e- even even worse, they they need to tender for certain projects. So they 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 need to think about what will it cost me in three four years down the road, and factor that into their uh, auction price. Um, so I think that that is a, a type of business that will be focused on what does this mean uh, uh, f- for me, um, and and other other businesses that ask. Quite a few questions are obviously uh, traders uh, that 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 trade in these products and have to understand their compliance obligations. Uh, if you trade in steel, you bring in steel into the EU. Uh, that that's clearly uh, a type of business that will also be asking lots of questions. Um, I think I think the, the the most difficult one is 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 sort of understanding uh, how this will impact your net zero uh, journey, right? Because Add a cost to it, so in a way you could say, well, that that that's 
for the business case, that, that's a good answer. Uh, but if, if you can't give that cost to the market and, and it ends up in your books, uh, then, then it, it, may, it may end up not being interesting to invest uh, in, in, for example, Europe, but uh, try to look elsewhere. So I, I think that that global play that is now going on is, is, is really, it's really important to navigate that well and, and understand the impact of, of all these regulations sort of stapling uh, on top of each other. All right. Definitely helpful. And Barry, how about from your perspective, what have you seen companies that are sort of dealing with this complex landscape well? What recommendations would you have for other companies? Niels has covered most of it there, so I'm not going to repeat it for the sake of repeating. The one thing I think I've mentioned to put emphasis on is data and understanding what data do you need? Can you access it? What do you need to do to get ready for what's coming? Because that's what I'm seeing as a massive challenge mm -hmm. in most of the businesses that we're dealing with. And it, that's the one that you have to get ahead on most. You know, particularly, as Neil said, you know, this year we're going to start reporting on CBAM. Then you're going to start in January 26, getting into paying. So to my mind, it is all about having the best quality data you can to get the most accurate answers that you're going to need. Yeah, and I think that's advice that applies to any of the sustainable reporting or otherwise their companies are doing. But I think to your point, and, and Niels made this point earlier, in this particular case, you're actually also talking about dollars in terms of having accurate data could be the difference, you know, in the amount that you're paying under, under these regulations. Yeah, that point Niels made about, you know, some standard government or EU level amounts, the difference between that and you being able to accurately estimate, you know, you could be looking at hundreds, if not thousands of percent in the difference from examples we've seen elsewhere in other industries when it comes to kind of carbon data. So I think that's really, really important to get right, that right. Because if your steel is created using hydro energy, for example, versus coal-fired energy, there's a huge difference there. So uh, definitely something for companies to really think about. And again, I think a good example yeah, and I think I think maybe just to add to that, uh, this this carbon data. As long as you know where the carbon sits in your company, uh, whether it's your extended supply chain or your own operations, you can uh, you can build policies around that to reduce it. But you also know the cost of it, and and you can sort of start to uh, uh, also uh, decide where to spend your dollars, right? Because you can then spend the dollar only once. So if 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 it makes more sense to reduce carbon in a certain jurisdiction because the prices higher or there's a better subsidy available, uh, I think in the end you need to infuse your net zero plans with taxes and subsidies. That, that is the, the real answer, right, to, to your business question, where, where do I spend my money and how do I operate? Um, and, and then, but it all starts with data. So as long as you use that data well and you have it uh, available, you can use it for reporting, you can use it for strategic management, uh, you, you can use it for your transfer pricing. So. It, it starts with that basic layer of data, and I think there, uh, the, the front runners are are working very hard to collect all of that already uh, and have insights uh, based on that. All right. Well, it's definitely a lot for companies to think about. And again, I think this is just the first conversation, but really appreciate all your insights. So thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. You're welcome. That's our show for today. Tune in next week for more fresh episodes. 
so that you never miss any of our audio content. Follow the PwC Accounting Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to stay up to date on all our latest accounting and reporting news, sign up for our newsletter at viewpoint.pwc.com. From Thought Leadership at PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates, and they sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.